This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming a very good friend, Cyrus Hazard, Senior Director of Concierge Sales at Total Wine & More. And today, Cyrus and I are going to be talking turkey. Cyrus is a native of San Francisco's North Bay Area and has been in fine wine and food sales his entire career. He began to focus on wine in his position as general manager for the gourmet retailer Dean and DeLuca, where he tasted as many as 50 wines a week, rookie. As an avid wine collector himself, work is not just work, it's a personal passion. He continues to hunt for that special bottle, which in many cases turns out to be one of the ones he actually offers. Now, Cyrus continues his wine education in the diploma program of the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, most recently receiving his Level 3 award. Outside of wine, Cyrus enjoys spending time with his wonderful wife, Andrea, cooking, tending to his garden, and getting out for a hike in the mountains. Cyrus, thanks for being here. It's so good to virtually see you. Likewise, Scott. It's, uh, it's, it feels like it's been forever. <laughs> it has been forever, my friend. So, Cyrus, I'm going to start off our conversation with a question I ask a lot of my guests. You know, here you are, you're, you're pretty high up in the wine world. I mean, you're the senior director of concierge sales for Total Wine and More, and which, by the way, we should probably talk a little bit about that a little later on, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably didn't even know there was a concierge program at Total Wine and More. But I want to know, what was your aha moment? What was the bottle that got you hooked on wine? Well, Scott, I could say it could be a hundred different bottles, but when I think back, you know, back in the beginning where wine was sort of just a fun thing you did around the dinner table. Um, and as you mentioned, my time at Dean DeLuca, sort of that's really when things took off for me. I remember going into the wine hall. There was a guy in there named DDA and DDA said, no, Cyrus, you need to buy this wine. And so I said, that's, 50 bucks. That's way out of my price range. I'm used to spending 10 bucks a bottle. And uh, sure enough, he convinced me as always. And it was the vintage of 2000 of uh, Dumol Eddie's Patch Syrah. And I remember getting home with that bottle going, do I need this or some kind of like dance I have to do with something this expensive or, you know, how, how was there a ceremony or what do I do with something this, this expensive? But in the end, you know, you, you pop the cork and I had some friends in Napa that, you know, were sort of shepherding me through this process. And when that first thing, when I popped that cork and I poured it in the glass, the aromas on that wine just blew my socks off, just incredibly aromatic. And I thought wine was just sort of this, you know, thing you put on a table with dinner. And after that, it was, I want that smell. I want that smell every time I open up a bottle. I want to feel that way. I was off to the races. I went back to DDA and said, all right, give me more. Wow. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> now, is that what led you into the wine business? What was your path into it? Well, yeah, the path was, um, I, I originally started off in high school bagging groceries at, at the local Safeway. And, you know, I learned to be a, an operator first and, you know, run a retail business. And, you know, they eventually moved me down into Santa Rosa, which, of course, is the heart of Sonoma County and, you know, obviously a very prominent wine region in, in, uh, in California. And what did you do out there when you met someone or you went on a date, coffee shops? No, you went wine tasting a lot of times in the afternoons. And so that's how wine started for me. And I thought it was just a casual afternoon at a beautiful vineyard and, um, we'd have a good time. And then I realized every time I started tasting these wines that I was remembering a bit more about each of those wines as I tasted them. 
And it wasn't just this sort of afternoon thing. And then cooking became a, a hobby and food naturally goes with that. And uh, moving from Santa Rosa to Napa accelerated things at a dramatic level. Because in, in Sonoma, there's a lot of orchards and a lot of the things aside from wine. It's a really beautiful, beautiful place to be. Uh, in Napa, the industry is wine and the focal is wine and food. And when uh, I started with Dean DeLuca, I was an operator. By the time I had that bottle of Eddie's Patch, I was no longer just an operator. I was a wine person. And I wanted to learn as much as I could about the business from there. And um, that, that's sort of the entryway. <laughs> Here we are almost 20 years later, right? A very different, uh, a very different place. As a matter of fact, during your introduction, I had mentioned that you're the Senior Director of Concierge Sales at Total Wine & More. And with all due respect to Total Wine & More, you know, many people probably think of Total Wine as kind of the place you stop by on your way home and you pick up a bottle of wine. It's probably somewhere in the $15 to $25 range, or maybe, you know, they might buy a case or two of what I would call a reasonably priced wine, whether it's a winery direct wine that Total offers or some other offering. They're probably not spending gobs and gobs of money, but Total Wine has a very special division and I keep telling you, I think it's Total's best kept secret. You are <laughs> Total's best kept secret, my friend. <laughs> and that's the concierge sales division. So what is it and how did it actually get started within Total? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I found my way to the DC Metro and Total Wine was the first place my wife took me. And I walked in and I'd never seen a wine shop so big with so much variety. And you're right, our, our stores have an incredible assortment of well-priced, high-quality wines that, you know, that, that everyone can afford. And it also does have a very large assortment of high-end wine. Um, but the majority of our business is done, obviously, through, through the value stuff and, and the everyday things. And I said, I got to work here. <laughs> so I went and applied. <laughs> and I became a wine manager for our store in McLean. And then, um, you know, within a short period of time, I took over that store and I got to meet David and Robert Trone, the two owners of Total Wine and More, and <clears throat> threw out a lot of the changes in there um, as, I, as I grew and I collected this higher end client base. I said to David, I said, David, we need a fine wine sales program that caters to this audience. We do an incredible job on the everyday stuff in the middle tier. Why don't we be the best at the fine wine piece of the business as well? Eventually, I convinced him it was the right idea, and I started that at, back in 2012 or so. Uh, I convinced him enough where he said, okay, go do it. So I moved to the office, and I started, uh, started collecting clients outside of my own from stores, started looking at creating a more unique sales program that is focused on higher-end, more classic wines, I guess, and more unique stuff that was not 10 to 12 bucks, but more in that 30, 40 up to you know, Petrus prices at four or $5,000 a bottle. Right. And you've also started a very competitive Bordeaux's future program. Yes, correct. Yes, God, that's, um, <clears throat> that was actually our bread and butter. That was my first stake in the ground. And I, you know, we, we start off going, okay, how do we, how do we introduce ourselves to the world of fine wine that don't know who total wine is? Right. And where do you do that? And how would you, how would you gather a large audience? And the reality is Bordeaux, is an incredible fine wine, you know, industry. It's got thousands and thousands of cases, not, you know, you may think in California, that, you know, there are some wineries that do 10 and 15, 20,000 cases, but in Bordeaux, that's standard. And you have a property that, 
you know, Bordeaux is, well, I guess Napa is 3% of vineyard land uh, that's planted in Bordeaux. So there's an incredible amount of wine being produced there and at a super high quality that's been doing it for hundreds of years. And as you know, Scott, because you and I are both in this, we buy our wine on futures. Yep. And we buy that wine a year and a half to two years prior to the wine arriving in the country, knowing we're going to get the best price that the, that the market will bear on that wine. Um, and we're willing to put up some money in front. Now, all of our competitors do that. They charge you 100% of that, of the price of that wine right then and there. When, right. when, up when front. You make They the charge purchase. you 100% of the upfront price. Right. Whereas, you know, we decided between David and I, we said, okay, well, what's the how do we get in this business? And we said, ah, well, we're, we're not going anywhere. We have lots of capital, right? We feel pretty good about that. Let's make our value. You only put 50% of the money into the, into, uh, when you make the, the agreement to purchase. And so off we went <laughs> and we started off on a, on a, a not so great vintage. The 2013 vintage was a, you know, was, was not a very publicly accepted vintage, mm-hmm. but it gave us a chance to practice, figure that out, make sure we had the program right. And then and by the time we got to the 2015 vintage, we were we were humming. So let me get this straight. If if I'm buying a any vintage Bordeaux future, uh, the 2018 I think is the most recent futures. Uh, 19 now. 19 now. I make my selections of the ones I want and only put down 50 percent. Correct. You put 15 percent down now, and then the remainder is due, depending on the size of your order, when the wine arrives in the U.S. Huh. Okay. That's unique. Yeah, <laughs> we think so. So fast forward, this is a project that you and uh, David Trone, and I should probably mention now U.S. Congressman David Trone. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, you and David cooked this up, and it was, were you a one-man band at the time this started? I was. I was. I was a one-man band. I didn't have symbols, but you know, we certainly were out there trying to figure out how we – get out to the right audience and get proof of concept down. And that was in 2012. And today we're, we're a lot bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. You have your own website and even your own phone number, right? <laughs> Direct phone number. We have our own website. We offer, you know, not only Bordeaux futures, but we do a, an email program that is <clears throat> tailored to that higher end that we do stuff. That's anything from, you know, value, value Bordeaux to, you know, some white burgundy to, you know, Barola Barbaresco to all the way up to, you know, spirits. And these days we spirits is very hot. Tequila is a very hot topic. So we do. So you're selling spirits in the concierge program. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We do. We stay away from uh, bourbon for the most part, but every other spirit we're, we're interested in the the bourbon market is very popular. um, But we keep our price points a lot higher than what those are. And you have to think spirits compared to wine, $20 spirit, you know, you get really high quality scotch at $55, $60 a bottle. So your entry to spirits is really going to be a lot higher than it would be for, for wine. So the, the strengths of the concierge program though, is you're, you're running across a a broad spectrum of what I would call premier wines. You you mentioned white burgundy, you mentioned some Italians. We talked about Bordeaux, I assume Rhone Valley wines and some of the higher end Spanish wines are also included in your uh, inventory. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What's driving all of this? Is there a high demand for this level? I mean, I assume that it's not just you anymore. You have other people in 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 your cohort. Yes. In the concierge <laughs> sales department, and are they providing any kind of knowledge or education to consumers? Um, 
to consumers, we do. So the third part we haven't talked about. We talked about Bordeaux Futures. We talked about the email program. I have a I have a separate set of of, of I have a separate team, I guess I would say, um, within Concierge Sales that is specifically focused on private client management. So what they do is they work with individuals one on one to procure different items that they may be looking for and finding some of the more some of them can be a little more hard to find but really tailoring the, tailoring the experience to those folks. And that, that does take quite a bit of education. Not everybody, you know, we all have full-time jobs, right? We're experts in our field. Uh, my team are all certified SOMs, WSET advanced uh, at a minimum level. Some of them came from the restaurant industry. Some have come up through the ranks within Total Wine, but they, they have a tremendous amount of knowledge. And uh, the, that group specifically loves to teach. And the stat, the team member, the customers love it as well. So obviously they, they stick around. <laughs> well, that's some good news, Cyrus. I'm going to test your knowledge right now. Here we go. <laughs> well, no. So Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, the, the question I get so often is, what should I serve at Thanksgiving? What pairs well with turkey? What should I have on the table? And I'm a huge proponent of having a number of different bottles open and available on the table because the Thanksgiving meal provides such a challenge in terms of a diversity of food on the table. You got sweet potatoes or mashed potatoes and cranberry and your cranberry sauce may or may not have orange in it. And (laughs) and of course there's the Turkey itself and then the stuffing. And do you have an oyster stuffing or do you have a traditional apple and sausage stuffing? So I think it's a big challenge trying to figure out what wines pair well on the Thanksgiving dinner table. I'm just wanting to get your take and just have a conversation about what do you think, what wines would, would you be recommending this season for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving, you said it is a really interesting table. There's so much stuff and so much variety out there. I mean, traditionally, people say Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are your, you know, sort of like signature places to go. They're safe, yeah. Yeah, they're safe. And, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of beautiful wines in that range. I think Champagne, Sparkling, as, of course, your wife, Cindy, knows very well, and my wife knows very well. Uh, goes with everything. <laughs> we are lucky men, yes. We are very much lucky. Our, our wives are smarter than we are. They, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's typically where they go. Most people will say Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and they mean domestic wines. But the reality is there's a lot of other grape varieties out there that are very versatile. And because that dinner table has so much diversity on it, you, you know, picking wines that can go with a lot of different things is sort of important. And so I lean towards white burgundy because of its its medium bodied character with with uh, not a whole lot of wood being used on it. And I lean actually away from Pinot and more towards the Rhone Valley, which you referenced earlier. Yeah. Well, Grenache is such a pretty grape. It is. And And underutilized. Very much underutilized. I completely agree with that. The reason I go that way is because Grenache, you're going to have a lot of people at the dining room table that are, you know, we are in America. We love Cabernet. We love Cabernet like nobody's nowhere else I've ever seen, right? But that but Cabernet is just too big and rich for the most part for any kind of turkey dish, which is what you traditionally put on, on the Thanksgiving table. And so Grenache has this really juicy, fruity character, but it doesn't have that tremendous amount of weight that you get from Cabernet. So uh, using Grenache pleases that sort of part of the audience, along with making it pairing well with, you know, it, it'll go fine with turkey breast and whatnot, but I prefer, I'm, I'm a drumstick guy, so <laughs> I prefer that with the drumstick. Um, so 
you know, Grenache is, is where I would lean more towards on the uh, Thanksgiving table these days. So I'm a breast man myself. And mm-hmm. I really, for the last couple of years, I've been going to the Alsace region mm-hmm. uh, where I've been kind of relying on Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris and Gewürztraminer for, or at least for the white wine part of the party. And guilty is charged on the Pinot front. I do have a tendency <laughs> to, to grab those domestic Pinots. I never really thought about Grenache. I think that's brilliant. I think it's a great idea. And you get to think too, a lot of the spice you get from the stuffings, um, you know, the, 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 the Grenache based wines, especially from the Rhone Valley have this sort of, they call it Garrigue, right? But it's a very, you know, rosemary thyme type of character that really, that really makes that stuffing pop. So what do you think about the, the uh, Alsace though? I mean, am I safe? Oh yeah. Like a Pinot Blanc or a Pinot Gris? You, you certainly are. They tend to be, um, you know, they're, they're super easy to drink. They're smooth. They have great acidity to them, but they also have a richness. Um, being from that colder climate, you know, closer to Germany, you're going to get that nice ripe character. And that goes perfectly with turkey breast for sure. Yeah. The, the, I have steered away in the past from Riesling. I know people say, oh, Alsace how, or, yeah. or, you know, the Rhine, how come you're not recommending a Riesling? And that's only because I had a, a bad experience with my mom many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I had spent quite a, a good amount of money on this, what I thought was a beautiful German Riesling. And I opened it up and, and my mom smelled it. And she said, this smells like gasoline. I'm not mm-hmm. drinking this. <laughs> and yes. she was right. It actually did smell like petrol, which is, mm-hmm. you and I know, a good thing. Because yes. while it may smell like that, it doesn't taste like that. But I could not convince my mother for love nor money to put that wine in her mouth. Yeah, it's an interesting. Some of the some of the words that we use to describe wine in the wine industry or, you know, in the geeky side of the industry, people always, if you'd use that on the sales floor, they go, what? I don't want asphalt in my wine. Don't tell me. Tell me about the rose petals right. for a Barolo or whatever. Don't talk about hot asphalt or rubber hose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah, Band-Aid. There you go. That's another one. Yeah. Those are, those are... I was describing a wine. It was a California Cabernet. So, of course, you know, I said, oh, yeah, it's got tomato leaf, you know, and tomato leaf characteristics on the, on the nose. Like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to drink that. <laughs> it's the know. literality. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of a, a good characteristic. So just one of those things that, People in the wine world, and particularly people like you and me, have a tendency to um, maybe geek out a little bit and not necessarily do a very good job of selling wine as as I did a terrible job of selling that Riesling to my mother many years ago. <laughs> yes, Pinot Gris, though, and Gewürz, not the same thing. They, those two are really spectacular grape varieties, and you know they're at their pinnacle there in, in Alsace. So. so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Since your wife and my wife adore champagne and it's pretty much going to be the starter for any meal do you have a recommendation up your sleeve um i do uh the other day i just you know my my wife and i she we drink champagne frequently enough because she demands that um we drink a lot of gervais gobillard which is a non-vintage champagne that um is you know obviously from champagne nowhere else that is incredibly versatile has a lot of pinot in it but it is fabulous with just darn near everything and what's the price point on that just out of curiosity i think it's like 36 or 37 dollars a bottle okay so most people are going to be blown away to find out that there's (laughs) an authentic champagne non-vintage champagne but an authentic Mm -hmm. champagne that's below 50 
Yeah. Yeah. Most places, most, most champagne is above 50 bucks a bottle. And traditionally your, your vintage champagne will be 80, 90 and over mm-hmm. upwards of a hundred dollars. So, but finding good quality champagne at, you know, 30, 40 bucks is that's the sweet spot. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to have to dig out a bottle of that. Yeah, you Good. should. I might have some tonight. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, uh, you know, talking about wines that we're going to have now is my favorite part of the podcast. What's in your <laughs> glass? <laughs> well, it's funny. You should ask. Uh, now that we've talked about a couple of what I think we're going to drink, I, we are going to actually, um, I picked two wines that will be on my table for Thanksgiving. One um, is white burgundy. I know it's not Alsace, but for me, I love white burgundy and I don't have to break the bank in some cases to find good wine. Uh, but I do run the concierge sales department of Total Wine and More. So these are going to be a little more pricey than normal. Imagine that. Um, but they are what I would consider great values in their, in their field. And let's be candid. This is Thanksgiving. It is time to maybe up your budget a little bit, right? Yeah, it's celebratory. Yeah. It's fun. And you want a decent bottle of wine on your table. Right. Exactly. Agreed. So the first one I'm pouring is called, uh, it's Opie de Monchauve is the producer. And it is St. Alban, which is a single village. And this is a premier cru Les Chamois. And it is from the vintage of 2015. So we are already in 2020, which means this has a little bit of age, which really is exciting because uh, I'm excited because this is available. It's not just something I've cellared. It's right. something you can go get today, which is nice. Um, and St. Alban represents this really unique space. And if you're in, if you're in Burgundy, there's a lot of people that love St. Alban because they're still affordable. Across the bay, literally across the, uh, I guess you call it the fence line <laughs> between here, this St. Alban Chamois butts up against En Piment. And En Piment is Chassagne Montrachet. And that over there is going to be twice the price, roughly, or for the similar wine, right? And of course, um, I'm not a bazillionaire. I still have to work for a living. This is a celebratory bottle. This is, I think, forty-four ninety-nine a bottle. It's not not incredibly over. Okay. It's not too far over the tie-up. But you know, it's, vines are over forty years old. Um, the majority of what I love about this wine is that it is it is a little bit domestic, but a whole lot of Burgundian. So there's you know less than twenty-five thirty percent sees new oak. The remainder of it is all once, twice, or three times used wood, and they're not all small barrels. So you, there's a couple of larger bottle barrels in there that, that allows you to get that richness from wood, but it doesn't, you know, that doesn't become the primary. And it's not overpowering and, mm-hmm. and what we would call neutral oak at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should probably mention that 99.8% of all white wines from the Burgundy region of France are Chardonnay. Correct. Yes. That is a very good point. So we say Chardonnay, but on the label, if you look for an Hawaii Burgundy, you're not likely to see the name of the grape variety of Chardonnay anywhere on the bottle. Um, and that's, you know, this one says on the back, Grand Vin de Bourgogne white wine. And it says St. Alban. And anybody who, you know, you're supposed to know that St. Alban has to be 100% Chardonnay because that's the way they, that's the, the way it is, you know. And so that's, if it's white, it's Chardonnay. If it's red, it's Pinot Noir and Burgundy, right? For the most exactly. part. So this is Chardonnay, and there, you know, there, there are some other minor exceptions to those rules, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the exception, general, absolutely the exception, and not the rule. The rule is Chardonnay. So what are you getting out of that? Oh, it's like white peach, a ton of uh, you know minerality. 
it's like um, you know you get this, this that minerality is so linear as the wine people would say it's a very linear wine the fruit peach is a stone fruit right so you know you're you're getting this sort of like pithy character on it it's not green although some people might say that that might be a way of a compliment in some in, in some circles it is bright fresh mineral driven with hints of fruit and just a touch of vanilla on the edge on the on you know on the on the edge of the wine just a touch yeah. it's what you need it's it is it's like salt and pepper right yeah. so we used a, a, a little bit of salt goes a long way that's right don't you dare spit <laughs> all right no spitting mm. So what I love about wine, especially something that's, you know, four or five years old, the wine has sort of come into its own. And, you know, wine has a life cycle, right? Things are not the same the day you buy it. If you age it for four or five, 10 years, as, as Scott, you know, uh, and something at this age now, if we had drank this when it first came out, um, the wood would be very much in the forefront. Uh, they don't, you know, this is, it's, there's no stirring of the leaves, right? This wine, the leaves are, the, the, the juice is pumped off and it's never, it's never actually no, no batonage, right? So, I drain it off. probably interrupt you and just tell you that for our listeners who may not know what lees are, it's <laughs> that point. fall out of the wine, right? The, yeah. the dead yeast sales or whatever else is in there that falls out of the wine and settles to the bottom. Those are the lees and batonage or the stirring of the lees is when somebody comes through and, and stirs up the wine and resuspends mm-hmm. the, yep. uh, the, the material back into the wine and then lets it fall out again and then resuspends the material back in the wine and then lets it fall out again. That's uh, the string of the leaves were about the nosh. I just wanted yes. to make sure because sometimes <laughs> we forget to explain these things. And then I get emails saying, what are lees? Yeah, very good idea. And, you know, the strategy there, right, is that 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 creates a richer, heavier, more full bodied wine. Right. Yeah. Um, so the strategy here is you with this wine is to make an elegant style of Chardonnay that is a hint of wood. It's an accompaniment to your meal. Uh, it is quite delicious on its own, frankly, uh, now that it's seen that bit of age, but it'll complement any kind of, you know, fish or chicken. And in fact, in this case, turkey goes perfectly with this wine. Fantastic. I I love that it's also 2015 and available today. Correct. Yes. Rare. I mean, <laughs> you know, most of the wines that you know, we're getting on our way home or if we're running to the, the store right now and we're thinking about it, generally within a year or two of the vintages. Where yeah. yeah. Right now it's, it's mostly 18 in the white for Burgundy and um, you know, you're seeing a little bit of 17 in reds, but it's mostly, it's mostly 18. Oh, very cool. So 2015. Yep. And it's, it's available in almost every one of our stores across the country. So, you know, the beauty of this, right, is we don't, we don't sit on the wine. It hasn't been sitting on the shelf there. This is us going back to OP de Montchauvin saying, hey, you know, what do you have for older vintages? We'd like to put that on our shelves. So we're lucky enough to be able to pull that off every once in a while. And while Burgundy, you, that's very rare. And while you sure do talk pretty, I'm going to make sure. <laughs> uh, and your, your French is impeccable. I'm going to make sure that we have the uh, spelling of the wines on the podcast website. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Know what we're talking about. So what else you got for me? (laughs) Well, um, so the second wine, as we talked about, we had, we talked about how I love Rhone wines and I think Grenache is a great pairing with, with Thanksgiving and bridging all worlds for big people love big red wines and those that love a more elegant style Grenache fits. Right. And so what I have today is a Gigondas. So Gigondas is a small appellation in the southern Rhone, Rhone Valley of France, uh, that specializes in Grenache. Uh, the producer I have is from Pierre Amadieu. And this wine here is Gigondas Pas de Legue, is how it's pronounced. 
we'll put that on the site too because it look does not look like that on the label. <laughs> and I, you know, believe me, this this kind of stuff. Uh, our 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 main buyer for for Europe is French. Uh, from Gascony, so he always corrects me. So I've had a lot of practice to learn how to say these things appropriately. Yeah, I got a lot of hate mail on my pronunciation uh, <laughs> of French wine. So yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. We we that's not our native language, and he makes fun of me all the time. So so this wine um, is 90% Grenache, 10% Syrah. It is aged in barrel. About half, three quarters are going to be new troll wood, and then the the, the remainder is going to be new. Uh, it, it's aged for two years in barrel, and then it's aged for another year in bottle before they release it. So it's three years before they put this wine out on the market. This is a 2015 as well. And so it's been in the market for a, a year and a half or so, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you know, these come from some of the highest altitude in Gigondas, which really isn't saying that much. It's like 1,300 feet above elevation. But mm-hmm. in that region on that, I mean, if you've been there, those mountains are like, Mini versions, yeah, they look like mini versions of El Capitan in yeah. Yosemite. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I, I would not want to be harvesting grapes <laughs> on, on those slopes. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 neither would I. And the vines up there, you know, they've been planted for a long time. The Amadou family's been making wines since you know the 1920s. It's all a family-run affair. Same folks have been there. Um, we've been working with these folks since the beginning, since longer than I've been working for Total Wine and More. Um, and these vines are 60 years old of age on average. Wow. So some pretty old vines. Right. So a lot of concentrated fruit then. Yeah. Lower yields, concentrated fruit. And that's why, you know, while the aromatics are super strong, I think that, you know, the glass you use for that, I use in a burgundy glass, same glass I use for my Chardonnay okay. because it is still delicate aromatically wise. You know, if you put this in a Bordeaux glass, it'll be good. But this, the the tulip piece, now I'm getting a little too geeky maybe, but um, that captures the aromas in the glass, right? And you want to, 70 to 80% of what you taste comes from what you actually smell. So you want it to smell great. <laughs> glassware matters. I, yeah, glassware I'm does matter. I'm a proponent of glassware matters. So, you know, these wines, I mean, I think anybody who's been to Provence smells the lavender, that sort of warmth from the ground and that whole, that that emotion just, to me, that's what comes out of this glass, Really, right? You're sort of in there at the same time. I've got that, you know, that's lavender, but you got rosemary and like thyme and you've got this sort of cassis and I don't know if it's, it is, it is sort of a bright cherry type character going on as well, but no real emphasis on wood here at all. This is really smells like terroir, the place it comes from in the world. It takes me back. Mm, yeah. So you have this bright acidity, which is a great quality to have in a wine that you're going to have a lot of food with. There are still some little grippy sort of, you know, sweeter, riper, dusty tannins at the same time on the edge. And um, that core is like beautiful, rich fruit, and a tremendous balance in the wine. It's not, it's not lopsided in any way. You can drink this on its own, but with a drumstick guy, <laughs> a little bit of drum and a little bit of that skin off the, off the drumstick and a glass and a sip of this is like perfect to me. What are the uh, predominant flavors that are coming through on that? So it is back to, you know, I get a, a, I'm not, that, that garrigue, that herbaceousness yeah. is on the edge of it. So it's just a hint. It's kind of like, um, you know, you, you don't, you season a steak with salt and pepper. You're going to have a, some flavor of salt. That's exactly how this, the, those herbs come out in the wine. There is a touch of wood I'm getting, a little bit of vanilla. Um, and touch of maybe, you know, uh, a, lo- a lot of rocks, actually. <laughs> And I don't eat rocks, right? None of us eat rocks. <laughs> but it's that. I, I guess the best way to equate that is it. It smells 
and it tastes sort of like Provence again, right? You've got that hot rock character with herbs, um, dark cherries, and um, yeah, I mean, it's cherries, cherries, cherries. It's good. Very cool. Very cool. That is a good call on that Grenache. I just, that went right by me. And now I'm going to have to try it this year. I'm going to put the Pinot back on the shelf. <laughs> you can have both side by side, right? You can always contrast. That's what us wine geeks do. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not driving this year. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's true. So this is $37, $36.99 on the shelf. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So neither wine, you know, super expensive. No. You know, we're not even tipping the $50 range. I think the first one you said was 45 Yep, $45. And this one is $37? hmm Okay. So yeah. you can go up, right? I mean, Chicandas is a wonderful value. If you were to, you know, want to step up, Chateauneuf de Pop would be where you right. go. Sure. Yeah. You so. know, I just do not drink enough Chicandas. I don't know why. It's the little redheaded stepchild of the Southern Rhone, and it shouldn't be because those wines are gorgeous. Yeah, there's um, Domaine Brousset is another producer that's making some top tier stuff these days that, you know, Gigondas is, you know, quite small, right? There's not a lot of producers down there. Um, St. Combe, right? which is spelled St. Cosme. Right? Yep, which we uh, love in our love, house here. We love that wine, yeah. Drink a lot of that. Another great producer. Oh, man, that's just... I'm pushing you had that out. with lamb the other night. <laughs> there you go. Yes, it goes spectacular with lamb. Um yeah, so try some Rhone. I mean, I think it's um, in our household, we drink a fair amount of Grenache because it's lighter body. We eat a lot of chicken and fish. We don't eat as much steak. You know, as we get older, we start to right, right. watch our figures a bit more. <laughs> what's healthy, what's not, and the less red meat. <laughs> so we lean towards wines like this for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and being a, a tad Rubenesque myself, we've my wife has me on a uh, – a tighter leash, if you will, on the red meat diet. So mm. on the occasion that I do get it, I will go for that, uh, either the Bordeaux or generally something from the Rhone Valley. So this is really a great tip. I love the idea of, of the, again, Gigodas Grenache with turkey. Going to do that this year. I can't thank you enough for that. As much as you and I do love our Cabernets, and we've been very fortunate to share Mm-hmm. More than a few bottles <laughs> together. Yeah, more than a few. <laughs> you know, there's a time and a place for those. And Thanksgiving, I think its time and a place is going to be this year for Grenache and for White Burgundy. And I want to thank you very much for those recommendations, Cyrus. My pleasure, Scott. And I also want to thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. It's good to see you. It's good to talk to you again. And it was wonderful catching up and learning a few new things about what I'm going to put on my table for Thanksgiving. Wonderful to see you, Scott. It's been too long, my friend. (laughs) And uh, maybe once this uh, pandemic has passed, we can open up one of those wonderful bottles of champagne. Completely agree. Can't wait for it. Until the next time. All right. Take care, Scott. Thanks for having me on. That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley, and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well. Drink well.